Kim Beasley is a man of all political seasons, currently the Governor of Western Australia, with a long and storied career in Australian politics. He has at different times been Australia's Deputy Prime Minister under Paul Keating, the leader of the Labor Party and the Federal Opposition, and in 2007 he retired from Parliament and was appointed as Ambassador to the United States. Beasley held that role until 2016 before being appointed Governor of WA in 2018 by Premier Mark McGowan. Ed Blakely is a former Washington insider, an internationally recognised leader in urban development and planning, advisor and author. Tina Quinn is a public and social affairs journalist born and raised in Australia with a particular interest in the US-Australia alliance. Governor Beasley, welcome to Cross-Pacific Conversation. Do you think will the US be able to refocus internationally with all its internal strife under Joe Biden's leadership? Yes, it will, but it will not be unhampered as as it does so. Mm -hmm. I mean, the previous government administration has left a dreadful legacy uh, for him to overcome Mm -hmm. and uh, a legacy and reputation on many fronts. And one of those fronts, of course, is the way in which it handled the the, the COVID uh, virus. And uh, so uh, in dealing with that, he deals not only, Biden deals not only with an enormous uh, domestic problem, but also a heavy hit on America's global reputation. And he's taking good steps because uh, apart from what he's doing locally, he's also started to talk to the Chinese and others or mentioned to the Chinese and others that basically there needs to be a global effort to deal with a pandemic further afield in the uh, developing nations in particular. That's the old fashioned American leadership uh, that and it works. It worked on Ebola when I was the uh, the ambassador in the US where the Obama administration really organized the international effort that resolved the problem at least temporarily. And uh, so that's uh, both a domestic uh, trial for Joe Biden, it's also a a foreign trial. And the thing that makes me really hopeful for the long term of the Biden administration in the way in which it handles foreign policy is that he clearly understands how good the US is at home, does to a great degree dictate how good the US is abroad. What do you mean by that? Uh, The current January 6th episode wasn't very good for the United States and you're saying it wasn't good for the world? No, it wasn't. Uh, because the United States is the beacon, the light on the hill when it comes to the defense of freedom and democracy. Uh, Post World War II, when the United States extraordinarily accepted responsibility for the stability of the globe and the freedom of its friends and allies. Uh, the uh, was an enormously self-sacrificial step, but its ability to do so was at least in part based on massive self-confidence about the uh, vibrancy and acceptability of its democratic institutions, its rule of law institutions. And that was always a difficult problem 
for the opponents of the United States, the adversaries of the United States to handle, because they were usually anything but. And there was always, and they knew it in their heart of hearts, there was a massive question mark over their legitimacy. And the US, by its own internal operations, posed that question mark over their legitimacy. Well, now, at this that, point, out, actions, I was just going to say, like at this point, these, do you think that's still there? I think it needs to be rebuilt. I think the, the, the joy of the Russians and the Chinese in particular uh, at the shenanigans of January the 6th was quite palpable. They're able to get up and say, see, the US system doesn't work. See, they're hypocrites. See, all they do is produce violence and dissent. Uh, we know how to deal with violence and dissent, but they don't know how to deal with it. All of that sort of stuff came out of them. Mm. And for friends of the United States, who have come to rely on the, if you like, the legal reliability of the internal American system, just sat there and watched one of the major political parties struggle to sustain its constitutional and democratic orientation. How does Australia uh, feel now? You have a broad view, not just from Western Australia, but across the country. Has the Trump uh, era damaged the United States in Australia uh, in such ways that it would be hard to sustain that grand alliance? Maybe the oldest one outside mm -hmm. of uh, Great Britain uh, that Australia has. Yeah, look, uh, the answer to that question is it affected us far less than it affected anyone else, I would say. Basically, uh, we are fascinated with American politics. I used to say when I was the ambassador that uh, before the uh, 2008 election, the Pew Research did a poll on who was interested in the US presidential election. And in the United States, the poll said 83% of Americans were interested in the US presidential election. In Australia, the poll said 84%. So Australians were more interested in the United States than Americans were. Right. And, and it's always been the case. You know, the total fascination that there was with uh, uh, the election and the outcome of the election and uh, the uh, extraordinary dishonesty uh, of claims put in place about the ballot after it. Those who really know about American politics know that this is probably the most honest American election ever conducted. Mm. Uh, but I don't think the public would necessarily generally think that, except they think it was an honest election. So there's a palpable sense of relief. I would say about 75, 25 Australians would have been hoping for a, uh, for a Biden victory. The, you know, it has to be said before people get too moralistic about these things that probably 20 to 25% of Australians have an outlook not dissimilar from that of, uh, of President Trump. Uh, and just as a large number of Europeans and Brits and others are similarly oriented, but they are a minority and they're a bigger minority in Europe and Australia than they are in the United States. 
So we were, I think Australians were relieved to see the outcome of the poll. Um, they just like to see the United States, our, not just our principal ally, but people whom we genuinely like, uh, actually getting an act together and sorting things out. So, so but we, but the, the Trump situation didn't, of itself, didn't impact so much here. It had no impact really on the, the basis of the alliance relationship we have, which is, it, it's, it's there in friendship, values shared and the like, but in reality, it's a military alliance and an economic alliance. In terms of the military alliance, <clears throat> all the facets of it are essentially run at what you might call the mid-levels of the bureaucracies and militaries and intelligence services of both parties. So the leadership tends not to impact on it very much. And the alliance was kept going basically by those middle level officials and it operated perfectly satisfactorily. And I know too at ministerial level, the ministers who deal with the United States had no problem with dealing with the appointees that Trump made to those positions and getting their points across to them uh, pretty effectively. So from, and then on the economic side, well, the US investment in Australia and Australian investment in the US just simply continues to surge and did so throughout that period. There are little things that uh, shape our relationship. Um, I was at the University of California at Berkeley and uh, at Harvard and other places where I taught and everyone wanted to come to the United States for their education. And yep. many of our leaders have, including Malcolm Turnbull and others. Do you see that continuing that the place, is the U.S. going to be the place to go for the leadership of this nation uh, and to build relationships for the future? Look, uh, Australians at the tertiary level are basically educated in Australia. But however, when they want to go and study overseas, uh, overwhelmingly, the orientation is to either Britain or the United States. That's, that's where they want to go. In my case, I went to Britain. In my youngest daughter's case, she went to USC. So, because uh, she, was, she was with us there in, uh, in the United States. And that was a terrific thing for her to do. And her experience was superb. And um, she is, uh, she's got a great deal from it. Uh, yes, uh, I don't think that it really impacts on the, from an Australian point of view, on the desirability of studying in the United States, basically, because when Australians visit the United States, they feel very welcome. And you think that's going to continue? Trumpism, America first, uh, it was just a bunch of words. Look, I, I think that... Um, it depends. I, I think there'd be uh, uh, much moaning at the bar if um, mm. Trump were to be re-elected four years from now. And uh, that's, you know, the, the, the thing I, I, I'm concerned about is the possibility of the Republican Party becoming entrapped in that ideology. Um, you see, in Australia, uh, the Republican Party has, at least in, in my time in politics, it was seen as the American National Party and the American Global Responsibility Party. 
Now, that may be unfair, and I should say that finally, the Global Free Trade Party. And those were characteristics of American policy right. that Australian governments, Labor and Liberal, tended to find comfortable. The Democrats were very good and, and people liked to uh, thought they could get on well with them. But the agreement really was with the Democrats socially. So people found the Democrat administration comfortable within the framework of their social and economic domestic outlook. But when it came to foreign policy, national security policy, free trade policy, it was the Republican Party that was seen as the essence of it. Now the Republican Party is in danger of taking itself off the map. Mm-hmm. Mm. What uh, And in terms of how do you think, do you see parallels here with in Australia with how we view our own uh, Conservative Party? Uh, I'm a governor and I don't really comment on Australian domestic That's politics. Okay. That's okay. That's all right. Broad, but That's I don't right. think... I don't think there is a political party in Australia that in any great area of substance uh, matches the uh, extremists who are obtaining an undue influence Mm -hmm. uh, via the Republican Party at heart. There's nothing like that that here. One thing is we don't have puns. Okay. Uh, There are are fascist and racist Mm organisations in Australia, true, but they don't have the potential to carry weapons with them. Yeah. Getting back to your experience as ambassador, what were the key issues that you faced um, and, and, and how much do you think they've changed, really? Like what are, you know, if you were to be in your role today in 2021, what do you think would be the differing issues that you would face as ambassador to the United States? Well, look, one of the key issues that I faced was the, uh, the, the negotiation of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That was uh, the uh, uh, the signature trade issue. There are other trade issues between us, uh, which we would have to deal with time to from time to time. But that that was the focus. When it came to um, the national security policy, in the embassy, it was the uh, the management of the foreign military sales program. We had about four hundred projects, probably still have. Uh, that were under management from the embassy in relation to the US. And then there was the intelligence connection. Now, both of those connections are there, but referred to fairly briefly because they contain such high security uh, components of it. And then there was the issue of the rebalance to the the Indo-Pacific zone. Uh, that was a feature of American uh, foreign uh, policy, national security policy, through that period of time. And uh, and that was uh, a, a, the implications of that were a major issue. And then there was uh, the Middle East. Uh, Australia had said, uh, I remember Tony Abbott visiting the president uh, and uh, me being worried about the sort of conversation that would be with you there. Uh, in the Oval Office, because you could not get more different people philosophically in outlook than Obama and Abbott. But um, uh, when we expected a pretty difficult discussion, that when it came to Abbott's Mm. 10 minutes before we went into the general discussion, he said to the president, look, um, we don't have any complaints about American policy, so I've got nothing to say to you 
of any uh, of that nature at all. Mm. And we um, don't think that there's anything really that we need in, in the relationship that we're not getting when it comes to the uh, positive side of things. So we're very happy. Um, but we think that you're about to get into a lot of trouble in the Middle East. And we just want you to know that when you do, Australia will be with you in numbers. So the, uh, the recommitments in Iraq mm -hmm. uh, took a considerable amount of my time. Mm. Um, the moves in Afghanistan took a considerable amount of my time. But I would I, I did identify those as, as the sort of big issues that, uh, uh, that had to be handled. Now, I think uh, many things are very different now. I think there's no doubt at all that the top foreign policy priority which we have to address from the Biden administration, while there are echoes uh, of all those uh, issues I am talking about, was talking about, would be in the first instance global climate change, mm -hmm. and in the second instance probably global global response to pandemics, and probably in the third instance. Um, issues related to nuclear non-proliferation, uh, most immediately the situation with Iran. Now, those were um, all uh, not, the, not well the, in the pandemic and the Ebola, I suppose, had some similarities. But mm -hmm. um, with that second issue, the other two issues were there, but uh, not in the form, particularly the first of them, of intensity that there is now. And that's uh, now we are going to want to be talking to the Americans about mm -hmm. uh, China and uh, the impact of the contemporary relationship on us. We're going to be wanting to talk to the Americans about national security issues of the Indo-Pacific zone, American commitments to the zone, how we want to respond to those things. And we'll definitely be having conversations on all of that because that's important uh, to the United States too. But it's uh, it's not dropped heavily down the list, but it's dropped somewhat down the list. And I would say that from the Australian government's point of view, it's those second issues rather than the first issues which would uh, obtain most of our attention. Are there any other ties? I know you've spoken the Fulbright recently, and that's a tie between the United States and Australia. People haven't traveled to the U.S. for a while, business leadership. I was with a, go a group of mayors. Uh, how do we get those things rekindled? Uh, look, I, I, at the moment, uh, all the normal people-to-people -people ties are disrupted, at least to some degree, by the um, uh, defensive measures that are put in around the, the virus and uh, what... Uh, uh, and they definitely re render um, movements sclerotic. So the enormous people-to-people -people ties through education systems, through uh, th uh, organisations like Fulbright, uh, through um, uh, tourism, the, these are, um, at least on the tourism front, nothing at all, but on the other two, very sclerotic. But uh, everybody wants them to assume. So when they can resume, they will resume. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably heavily dependent on the Americans getting on top of the virus. And uh, I don't think the United States is there yet, but you have got very good vaccinations and you are 
leading the world in vaccinations that are flexible enough to be rapidly adjusted to the new forms of the virus emerging. That's something you've got over us uh, because the uh, production we're going in through of AstraZeneca, I don't think is in the same class as, as Pfizer or the, uh, I think it's the new Johnson & Johnson um, a vaccine that is coming out. The American vaccines are modern vaccines, they're superb. So I would think that over the course of the year, the United States will get the pandemic under control. And over the course of the year after that, or maybe going into the year after that, uh, we're going to find something akin to previous levels of interchange. Something we'd like to to play for you is uh, a statement, a speech that Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, recently gave. Uh, we'd like to um, play it now and, and, and hear your response. Historians are going to examine and write about this moment as an inflection point, as I said. And I believe that every ounce of my being, that democracy will and must prevail. We must demonstrate that democracy can still deliver for our people in this changed world. That, in my view, is our galvanizing mission. Democracy doesn't happen by accident. We have to defend it, fight for it, strengthen it, renew it. We have to prove that our model isn't a relic of history. It's the single best way to revitalize the promise of our future. Well, that's the Joe you know, right? Yeah, thank God. <laughs> What's my reaction to that? My reaction is uh, all strength to his right arm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it needs to be a uh, quite an effort, I think, to drag the people out of their conspiracy theories, out of um, a uh, pretty... Um, well, pessimistic and and, uh, and and contrarian view about the value of American institutions and the value of American history. I don't think that this is going to be easy. Uh, I am always surprised by the number of people who come back at the view that somehow or other the American election was rigged that uh, the former president was robbed and that uh, in any case the system doesn't work for them and it's coming as i said from the a substantial proportion of the adherents of the party that was the american national party and the party of stability in global politics that is so dangerous um it is good that you actually have a president who is alert to the fact that the views that he holds, which are just the views that Americans have held traditionally and which have meant the essence of American inner moral strength and fundamental global decency, um, are once again held and the extremity of those views is is pushed to the far out um, fringe not in the far out fringe at the moment it's semi-mainstream that's got to change over the next four years and that's not going to be easy because there's a political party with a major impediment inside it to those changes 
while it's infecting us too here in Australia? Look, uh, it does to a degree. Um, it, it's it's not it's not quite so lethal because we're not as ideological a people as the Americans yes. are. Our mm. religious structures and levels of belief are much less. Mm. Um, we don't have guns, and, and we don't have a gun mm. ideology. Thank I mean, God. there's uh, we don't have an insurrectionist tendency, but we do have. Uh, right-wing racists with all those particular attributes, they just mm. don't have the tools. So that's always going to be a, uh, a factor that uh, mitigates here. But will these people be around? Well, I just take note of the fact that ASIO said the other day in a, a public presentation that we needed to watch out for right-wing extremism, insurrectionism, because it was uh, growing in strength. Well, Ambassador, uh, I understand you have uh, a few months or maybe a year left on your term as uh, governor in Western Australia. I'm sure there'll be a mission for you with Joe Biden to get the world straightened out. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> America can only be straightened out by Americans. Yeah, but we have the whole world to deal with. Democracy is not just an American product. No, it, it isn't, but it has been defended by the United States and preserved. Look, I always used to say this when I was in the United States, and it remains true. Uh, the United States, after World War II, did something which was of such cosmic significance mm. uh, in global history and is without precedent. The US, which had got on well enough without engaging much except by trade with the rest of the world for most of its existence, took a decision after World War II, and that was it would stand for freedom globally and it would place itself at risk to do it. Now, if you imagine, if you look back over the previous 100 years' history, the most mischievous parts of the country were, were of, the, of the globe were probably European states on the, the European side and then Japan in the, mm -hmm. in, in the Far East. And what did the US say? They said, we are going to make ourselves hostage to the good behaviour of people who in the last 100 years have shown levels of political immaturity you can scarcely imagine. And um, that what holding yourself hostage meant mm -hmm. that you would become a nuclear target. And if anything went wrong, that beautiful country and its wonderful people mm -hmm. would suffer 100 million casualties and cease to be a viable nation. Yeah. Now, that, to, to say that you would do that, that is uh, an act in purely, in purely Hegelian dimensions of selflessness in global politics. So, yes, we all have freedom, and well, not we all, but many of us have freedom and democracy. But we do owe a fair slab of that uh, to the post-World War II United States and the American great generation. I'm just sorry now that so many Americans seem to be prepared to turn their backs on their grandparents. Well, that's why we uh, had this show. Yeah, good. That's, uh, and, and it's a good thing to have. And thank you for that. Well, thank you, Governor, for joining us uh, this afternoon on Cross Pacific Conversation.
Thank you very, very much. Well, you're great. And what you're doing is immensely important to this country. Uh, I don't know how much it will spread in the US, but I hope it's important there too. That was Kim Beasley there speaking to Ed Blakely and Tina Quinn in what is the first of a series of great conversations. The podcast is Pacific Conversations. Subscribe wherever you find the podcast and check out the website edtalks.com.au for a vast plethora of extra information. For weekly updates on US news and current affairs, You can also check out Ed's other podcast, US of Ed, available wherever you find good podcasts, as well as on Facebook and Twitter. Next in the series will be Gabrielle Metcalf speaking local to global leadership. We also have other chats coming up with Ambassador to Australia, Jeff Bleich, Bob Carr, and the Reverend Bill Cruz. Subscribe so you don't miss a thing wherever you find the podcast.